I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. The communications industry has evolved rapidly and, in some cases, dramatically in the last two years. When COVID knocked the world for six in early 2020, the industry, like many others, fell to its knees. But showing no small amount of resilience, it's rebounded to be in a position that many wouldn't have predicted 18 months ago. As we head into 2022, you can make a strong argument for the PR industry to actually be in a better position now than it was at the end of 2019. It's certainly leaner than it was then, but arguably it's more flexible, more creative and more diverse too. But along with those positive outcomes from the pandemic, the next 12 months present challenges that have either directly or indirectly stemmed from it. And today we're going to look at three of them, identified by the PRCA. My guest today is its Director of Communications, Koray Kamgoz, someone who's worked in the PR industry for his entire career to date. Koray says he was interested in news and current affairs from a very early age, and is fascinated by the way stories are shaped and blended from different perspectives. I remember when I was really young, I was probably about 15, 16 at the time, watching coverage of the Iraq war. And I always was fascinated by the way that 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 news was being presented and portrayed on different channels. So even from a young and early age, I would get my news from all different sources. I would read Al Jazeera, I would watch even Turkish TV, so my dad's Turkish. And uh, I was always used to just drawing in news from different sources. He studied English at university and completed a master's degree in media and communications before landing his first PR role at an agency in New York after spending some time travelling around America. The role gave him an insight into the industry and how it works. So I was doing some work with some healthcare clients and some financial clients on, on the social media side. So yeah, that's, that's how it came to be. And then um, my visa ran out, so I came home. That was in 2011. Upon returning to the UK, Corai joined the CIPR, working in administrative roles, then policy and diversity, before becoming PR manager in 2016. In 2019, Corai moved from the CIPR to the PRCA, where he is now Director of Communications. So I think public relations is a a discipline that is incredibly powerful. It can shape the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act. And yet anyone, irrespective of any credentials or qualifications, can call themselves a PR professional, so to speak. So I am quite committed, both in my, you know, my own life and, and my professional life as well, to really bring out the best in the profession. Shortly before recording this show, the PRCA was rewarded for its response to the COVID pandemic at the Association Excellence Awards. Corai says that the challenge for the PRCA was how it supported its community, from lobbying the government for financial support through to free memberships and training, to establishing a global task force to deliver free webinars and one-to-one consultancy, something I'm proud to say that I was a part of. The award was brilliant recognition for our team because our team worked incredibly hard. Um, And I I do mean that every single one of our team from uh, the top uh, downwards all really pulled their weight and and worked around the clock to support our members when it mattered most. And I think, yeah, the award is, is, is nice recognition of that. 
As a result of research undertaken by the PRCA and anecdotal evidence from its membership, the organisation has identified three key challenges for the PR industry as we move into 2022. The first of these is that in the wake of COP26, communications professionals are going to find themselves being challenged more on climate issues. Going forward, it's going to be the one thing or, or, that, that, is, that is really going to challenge communications professionals uh, next year. I think the concern from, from our point of view is that the industry is, has, a, has a bit of a knowledge deficit when it comes to climate issues. Um, okay. and, and certainly that's one thing that we're, that we're really keen to flag and to address um, at the PRCA. So earlier this year, we set up a, a climate misinformation strategy group, which is led by John Brown from Don't Cry Wolf. Yep. And together with Opinion, we conducted some research looking at the role and the influence of the PR industry on the climate crisis. And there were some really interesting stats from there. I think the first one isn't that surprising, but it is quite important that 71% of communications professionals agree that they are giving advice on the climate crisis more frequently than they were five years ago. And I think that demand for strategic advice on climate will only surge in 2022. It doesn't matter if you're a a local council or a high street retailer or a multinational, your your stakeholders are going to demand to see your climate credentials. And I think in the past, if we're honest, there's been a tendency to throw in a few paragraphs on sustainability in your annual Mm. report, but the reality is that just no longer cuts it. And I think we'll see uh, far more organisations called out for inadequate or disingenuous climate commitments in 2022. In fact, we're already seeing it in droves at the moment so um yeah it's something that we expect to fully continue when you talk about a a knowledge deficit are you talking about knowledge of what the the issues really are or is it a deficit of what an organization is doing to counter those or is it both yeah i think it's both so what we found out was there are feelings of nervousness and anxiety about entering the debate on climate change on the part of PR professionals. Right. The research also also showed that 18% felt nervous about entering the debate and a further 39% reported a feeling of needing to feel as though they were an expert before they were able to contribute. I think that's that's a massive concern for the PR industry for, for two reasons, really. Firstly, as strategic advisors, I think we're absolutely perfectly positioned to, to guide decision makers to making you know real positive change on climate issues and, and we can make a real impact here but if we don't have a basic understanding of the fundamentals of this issue if for example we're not able to you know grasp the science or talk confidently about scope one two and three emissions then we're missing a massive opportunity for for our profession and then secondly and this probably touches on the point you were making and arguably this is more concerning a lack of knowledge around the climate crisis from PR professionals can lead organisations towards headline grabbing, superficial commitments that have really little or no impact on operations. And yeah. carbon offsetting is a, a, a classic example of that when you look at the number of organisations who are not necessarily changing what they're doing or cutting their emissions, but they're just grabbing headlines for yeah. carbon emissions. So it's a, it's a massive issue uh, for our industry and one that we really cannot afford to sleep on. No, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I guess, like you said, it's going to affect more and more and more companies and more public relations professionals over the next year or so. Even those at the moment, which kind of 
sounds odd, but can take a bit of a sidestep around it. Every company is going to come under scrutiny in some way or another, you you would think, for for their ESG credentials. And there's a lot of talk at the moment about how, at board level especially, ESG is starting to become a real issue because company boards are having to get really involved in this issue. And, and it's the same thing. There's They're not really understanding not why, but how they should get involved in it. And and there, I think there, you're right. There's a massive anxiety about what we should say in order not to land ourselves in deep water. Absolutely. I think the thing that is often overlooked is that the way that financial markets are, are responding to ESG changes. I think you can, if you look at the S&P 500 ESG index, mm. um, particularly when, when at, the, at the outset of the pandemic, I mean, it out, outperformed the standard S&P 500 index. And I think that was a, a wake-up call for a lot of organizations because it showed that the ones that are properly committed to ESG are just seen as more resilient and, and, and better-run organizations. They're safer bets for financial investments. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, what you're seeing is that those organizations are enjoying cheaper access to capital. So they are, they're able to attract investment in a way that others can't. Yeah. And that, that, that's a game changer because that, that, then we're moving from a point where this is no longer about doing what's right because there's a clear and unambiguous moral case. We're doing it because, you know, the, the, it's in everyone's, well, it's in the business interest and there's a clear bottom line benefit for those willing to embrace these values. So, yeah, it's an exciting change. But, but I, t- I suppose for, for our industry, it's massive because, th- as I said, this is something that we cannot afford to, to sleep on you know if we take our role seriously as, as ethical communicators then it's, it's, it's our duty it's our responsibility to to cut through the crap and to guide businesses towards science-based targets and, and meaningful action on climate change have you seen much evidence in in the sort of research you've done of of greenwashing and because there was always a criticism of of public relations going back many many years that csr as it was then called really was was kind of you know you'd build a a PR campaign and bolt on a bit of CSR to make it look good. That doesn't. I mean, that just doesn't wash anymore. People see through it very quickly. But do you still see evidence of a much greenwashing going on? I think if we were honest, there are there are still examples of of, of that of greenwashing taking place at the moment. I read a blog yesterday uh, from Stephen Mornington, and he 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 made the the, the very salient point that. PR professionals and, and indeed the PR industry has been a big part of the problem for too long. You know, there have been campaigns from the likes of BP, which have been uh, carried out by agencies, which fundamentally seek to deflect responsibility from the biggest organizations responsible for polluting the atmosphere uh, from them and onto individuals. And, you know, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's undeniable that we, we have to take responsibility as an industry we as an industry uh, can do so much better and we are doing so much better. And I think the work that the Climate Misinformation Strategy Group has, has done has highlighted that. It's a c- tremendous opportunity and one that I think if, if, you, if you take your role seriously as an ethical professional, as a communications uh, professional, this is one that, that you kind of have to seize. This is something that we can't afford to ignore any longer. Podcast analysis has always been a major problem for marketers, with outreach efforts reliant on dubious download numbers and a lot of guesswork. Until now. 
Podchaser Pro is a new service that solves the problem for podcasters and marketers alike. I caught up with co-founder Cole Raven. We've built this new product around audience sizes so that as like a PR agency or a marketing agency, you can use this tool to really understand how many listeners every podcast gets. And then we provide contact information on top of that. We understand how many people are listening to a podcast, how far they get into each episode, in some cases, demographic data. You can't find that anywhere else. Check it out at podchaserpro.com forward slash digital download. The second one of your challenges or predictions, whatever you want to call them, is about what we're seeing a lot at the moment, which is it's a crunch on talent. And I've heard from a number of, of clients of mine and people I've just generally talked to about how difficult it is to find people to fill roles at the moment. And that goes from, I think someone was telling me about junior roles, someone else was looking for a relatively senior sort of social media director type person. It seems to be kind of across the board. So what are you seeing in that area? Yeah, as, as I mentioned, we at the PRCA, we're really quite fortunate to work with organisations and agencies in the, both in the UK and around the world, uh, across all sectors. We hold kind of regular consultations with them uh, and check-ins. And the one thing that has absolutely dominated conversations in recent weeks and months, to be honest with you, has been the challenge in attracting and retaining top talent. And I think it's it's such a fascinating and complex subject at the moment because there are lots of different factors that are impacting it. Some of them are kind of a macro trend, trends beyond the industry, but there's everything from kind of mental health to diversity. And the, the basic premise is that PR leaders are unanimous in their view that it's never been harder to recruit. So I was at a PRCA event last month. I was speaking to Rohan Shah, uh, Ruben Sinclair, and he told me that he's been working in PR recruitment for 18 years and he's never seen anything like it. So employers yeah. are absolutely desperate for talent. And to say it's a candidate-led market at the moment would, would be a massive understatement. Yeah, like I said, that absolutely echoes what I'm hearing as well. Someone who manages a, a, an agency that I, I work with on and off was telling me that people have left her company, some for other uh, agencies, which you would expect, you know, that happens, but some have left the industry entirely because, yeah. you know, you, we've we've gone through everything in the last 18 months and people have just had a rethink and they think, Absolutely. I don't want to do this anymore. I, I want to do something else. And that seems to have been the real thing that's causing a problem. It's just people leaving the industry. A hundred percent. And and as I said, some of, the, some of this is owed to trends and um, developments that are beyond the industry. Yes. So you might be familiar or have heard of what's been dubbed as the, the great resignation. So according to Microsoft's 2021 work trend index, 41% of people are likely to consider leaving their jobs within the next year. And that's mm. by far the highest it's been in recent years. And I don't even think necessarily that it's about demanding the freedom of remote working. I think it's, as you say, it's people reevaluating their priorities and rethinking yeah. how they allocate their human capital. So our, our industry is beyond doubt feeling the effects of this trend. And we're, we're definitely seeing people firstly moving more often, but as you say, in many instances, just uh, leaving the industry altogether. But it's mm. also having another, you know, a different impact as well, because even those, 
who are moving are tending to move. They're, they're able to demand far, far higher salaries. And in many instances, they are moving into roles that they may not necessarily be qualified for. So mm. there is a real concern here that this could lead to kind of brain drain. And, and, and it's, it's something that I think next year, companies are really, really going to have to be mindful of. And there's going to be a lot more emphasis on employer branding and how you make sure that your organization stands out yeah. um, in, in, in a really crowded market. So it will be absolutely fascinating to see, but it's certainly one of the big things that we'll be watching in 2022. I had a feeling going back pre-COVID, let's, let's go back maybe three years, and there was a lot of growth being reported in the public relations industry in terms of specifically what I'm thinking of is the number of people employed in the industry, which seemed to be going up sort of every year by, I don't know, five or 10,000 people. Yeah. And at that time, it felt to me like the industry was becoming very bloated. And I think I said this at the time. Looking back, do, do you think that may have been the case or is that just... It's just everything that's happened and, like you said, trends that have impacted this. It's a difficult one. I, I feel as though a lot of, obviously, a lot of change has taken place. A lot of organisations, including our own, uh, had been forced into a position where we, where we needed to make redundancies. Yeah. I think what, what we're seeing this year is that, certainly, certainly for, from the conversations that I've had, is that organisations, if anything, have overcut and that right. is why, and that is also contributing to a bit of a hiring boom at the moment. Because, you know, if you compare the situation we're in now compared to the one we were in eighteen months ago, I think we would have we would have been pleasantly surprised, really, to to be in the position that that we are. So I think that we perhaps were were uh, more cautious and, and quite abrupt in some of the decisions that were made, but that was just done out of a, a lack of real knowledge of where we were going as an industry yeah and understandably so absolutely yeah and to your point about whether we were whether we were bloated perhaps perhaps there were elements of 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 our industry which were kind of over resourced but you have to bear in mind that as a as a discipline as a strategic function we are incredibly we're incredibly broad church you might say Mm. so you know public relations nowadays encompasses everything from internal communication which is showed incredible growth over the past five to ten years uh, all the way through to public affairs to corporate and consumer so you know that there's, there's there are so many different areas within our industry that serve you know all, all different kinds of businesses that we are quite a, by nat- by nature we are a large and growing industry the third challenge the prca has identified is around accessible content and its increasing importance I asked Corai whether this is just something the industry hasn't embraced yet or whether it's more of a knowledge deficit. I think it's certainly both. We, uh, as an industry, I think are, very, uh, are still very much in the early stages of seizing the opportunity that accessible content presents us. I think next year will certainly, in, in my view, it'll be a year that we really wake up to it. And I think we already have begun to, to do so more, partly because of the pandemic and, and the shift to, to online. I think we've been forced into a position now to make content and make events um, more accessible than they've ever been. Mm. Uh, so at the beginning of, or earlier this year, we we partnered with uh, an agency called Current Global who are, who are doing really outstanding work in uh, in this space. Their CEO, George Coleman, uh, is incredibly 
passionate about the subject. He grew up with a deaf, a deaf father, and we've been working with him and his team. Uh, so, so they they deserve a great uh, deal of credit for for that. Um, but as I say earlier, we we partnered with them and we developed accessibility guidelines for the communications industry, and they've been by far our most pop- popular resource of the year. So that's another way we can gauge kind of where the industry's appetite for for learning is. It's by looking at the courses and the resources that we have, and this has by far been our most popular resource. So I think, yeah, I think as you said that about the research, I think the first point to the first thing to point out is just the sheer scale of the population. So you're talking about a billion people in the world, fifteen percent of the global population who have some form of disability. But uh, and when you consider those numbers, you're talking about a collective buying power of thirteen trillion dollars. But yeah, only a, a very small number of companies prioritise disability inclusion uh, within their communication strategy. So yep. it means that there's a there's a massive opportunity um, and also a responsibility really of on the part of PR professionals to make sure that everything that we're putting out can be accessed by anyone, irrespective of their abilities. And just on that point, for, for, for anyone listening who's a bit confused by the term of accessible content, I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so, I mean, when we talk about accessible communication, we're fundamentally talking about content that can be accessed any by, by everyone, right? So disabilities come in many forms, both visible and unseen. Um, I mean, our guidance focuses specifically on issues faced by people with visual, hearing, um, cognitive and speech difficulties. So, you know, there there are really simple steps that communications professionals can take to make their content accessible. Uh, even, for example, on, on you know, adding captions to videos, which mm. as an industry, I think we're, we're, we're getting there in terms of making that the norm and the standard. Similarly, for images, adding alt text that, that clearly and concisely describe the images. Um, and even things like using Microsoft Accessibility check- Checker, which is a free tool that, that flags any accessibility issues and, and advises you on how to fix them. It's basically getting to a point where we as an industry are using that tool in the same way that we would with a spell checker, for example. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, th- there are plenty of ways that we can really drive positive change on this. Yeah, I think that's important. And, and do you know what? I have to hold my hands up here because I, at the current time, do not translate this podcast into text. And I know I should. And that is a very bad thing. And I'm not doing the accessible thing. The reason I haven't done it to date is because I just haven't found an AI system that works well enough. And I don't have time to go through half an hour's worth of text and and, and edit it. But the system we're using today is a, is a system called Zencaster. And they just very recently, a few weeks ago, have introduced a an automated text trans translation service so i'm hoping hoping that'll do the job but do you know what I, like i said i hold my hands up on this I, i'm not doing it so it would be hypocritical of me to sit here and say yeah everyone should be doing it you know what i mean yeah but i think thank, thanks for, for raising that but i think it's it brings to a point that's mentioned frequently in, in the guide that we put out which is about just starting where you are mm. everyone can make small changes um and and look we we would include ourselves in that i think as an organization, we we put out a lot of research and reports and, and PDFs typically are, are, are not by their nature, they're not accessible documents. Mm. What we did with these particular guidelines, guidelines is that we published them in an accessible word format as well as on a PDF. So there are steps that you can take, but look, no one's gonna be perfect on this, but it's about 
us as a as a collective as an industry making small steps that break down the barriers for people who do have those issues so as i said i think next year will be a big one for us in terms of uh, achieving that yeah absolutely okay then just just to kind of finish off and, and thank you for going through all those in, in such detail are you generally positive that the industry can effectively tackle these three challenges in the next you know year two years whatever it may be absolutely yeah i mean i'm i suppose by nature i'm always a a glass half full kind of guy so i would i would always say yes but genuinely i feel as though the industry has adapted you know remarkably well and performed outstandingly over the past 18 months so i think if we're able to overcome the challenges which for so many of us threatened our very existence mm. then we are by far capable of kind of rising to the challenges that that, that i've alluded to i'm i'm certainly optimistic that, that that they can be met and look they're not it's not going to be easy and there will be challenges ahead but the industry is in is in fantastic shape and it's really well positioned to take advantage of these Many thanks to Corai. Look him up on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.